Well, hello there. Welcome to this special daily series of Right Now at the Writer's Colony. I'm Chad Gurley, Colony Coordinator at the Writer's Colony at Dairy Hollow in the historic arts village of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And I'm honored to host this podcast featuring writers, authors, poets, and artists from our community and across the nation. During this monumental time, the Writers' Colony at Dairy Hollow believes it's important to give voice to the writing community, to hear their thoughts and guidance, words of hope about this pandemic that we are all experiencing in different and unique ways. So again, welcome to Right Now at the Writers' Colony podcast. Let's see who we can get on the line. This call is being recorded. Crescent. Hey, Chad. How are you? Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to have you. (laughs) Are you at home or are you out and about? No, I actually am at home. But I have the windows open and it's just a beautiful day. Where are you now? I'm in Fayetteville. Right. And okay. um, and Mark and I have a house we really love here, and um, it's a beautiful day here too. And Good. you know, I mean, I I essentially I self isolate anyway <laughs> because of my work. I mean, right. really, what did I form the writers' colony for? <laughs> so, you know, right. So people <laughs> could have the privilege of being able to self isolate. <laughs> Well, right. Isn't that what? Isn't that so ironic? Is that here we are and we're actually closed right now, just you know, for health and safety concerns. But what a wonderful place it would be to isolate, you know, at this time um, and be able to get some good work done. Um, yep. I'm just so I'm so I'm so honored to have you, and so glad that you um, are here with us today. I. Why, why don't you tell us just, I, I'm pretty sure that everyone knows who you are, but just tell us a little bit about who you are for those that may not know. <laughs> well, oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> I know, it's such a loaded uh, question. Well, you know, the easiest thing is for them to go to dragonwagon.com, but I'm yes. sure that most of the folks know that uh, I'm a writer, I moved to Eureka Springs two months after my 18th birthday and lived there until two months before my 50th birthday. And with the late Ned Shank and the still with us Crow Johnson Evans, uh, co-founded the Writers' Colony at Dairy Hollow. Mm -hmm. And it grew out of an inn called Dairy Hollow House that Ned and I had started and co-owned. It was the first bed and breakfast in in Eureka Springs and one of the first two in the state of Arkansas. And um, all the time that I was an innkeeper, I was also a writer, and I still am a writer. And I have often said that that, um, I'm fortunate that I get to write because it allows me to dive deep into my obsessions of the moment mm. and then drop them when I'm done with them and not look like a dilettante or a flake, but actually <laughs> to be a professional. So um, the genres that I have been fortunate enough to be published in are 
children's books, magazine articles back in the days when magazine articles were a viable thing. Yeah. They were called articles, not content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Said yeah, Dragon right. slightly bitterly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, I have two novels out. I have a book of poetry out. Uh, my first play was produced in Fayetteville, chosen by the um, uh, New Play Festival um, awesome. in 2018. What else? Um, Oh, I have one biography out, and of course, culinary writing cookbooks. Yeah, and yeah. I have I have in all um, fifty published books. That's traditionally published and not self-published. And I'm also the literary executor to both of my parents. They were also writers. My father mm -hmm. was a Hollywood biographer probably best known these days for being Marilyn Monroe's first biographer. And wow, yeah. my mother my mother was a very well-known children's book writer and editor, Charlotte Zolotow. Mm -hmm. And one interesting thing as we as we're in this time that is so challenging and so uh continuously present is I always think about what stays and what passes away and during my growing up years my father of course <clears throat> was more famous than my mother because he mm. wrote about the celebrities of the day uh, he wrote right, about right. the Tulula the Tulula bankheads and the right, right. you know Alfred Lund Lynn Fontaine and all that he was much more well known than my mother but now it's you know 50 years on and about the only two people that he wrote about that everybody knows offhandly are John Wayne and Marilyn Monroe. He did book-length biographies of them. But everybody else, the hundreds of other well-known people that he wrote about, people don't know about them anymore. Right, so as right. his literary executor, I get a query about quoting his work maybe once every two or three years. Okay. But with my mother's work, she didn't write about celebrities. She wrote about dogs. Yeah. She wrote yeah. about friends. Yeah. She wrote about brothers and sisters that didn't get along. Yeah. She, Isn't she, that she wrote, yeah. She wrote about missing people that were far away, whether it was one of your parents or a friend or she wrote about gardens. She wrote yeah. about wanting to have a horse. And, you know, at that era, in the 50s and 60s, everybody did not want to write a children's book. <laughs> you know, it was not yeah. an in thing. It was very condescended to, you know, kitty books. Really, and, yeah. And it really, it, it's hard to believe now, food writing was not considered real writing, and children's books was not considered real writing. They were just kind of... Really? Really, truly. <laughs> I often tell the story about... You know, as a young writer, I was off at, you know, had a, I was teaching at a uh, writer's conference somewhere. And, you know, they have the opening cocktail party that's for the teachers. And there's the older, well-known novelist, star at that conference, who's on the make, kind of sidles up to me. And he's coming on to me a little bit. And he says, so... Oh, what genre do you write in? And I said, oh, um, I, uh, 
I have done several children's books, and I also do culinary writing cookbooks. And his face sort of fell, and he said, do you think you'll ever do any real writing? Oh, my goodness. That is how different it was. That yeah. is how different it was. So anyway, but all, all of which I was getting around to saying that my mother who wrote these little books that were viewed as insignificant by much of the world at the time, her books are being published in China and in Korea and in Mm. Japan and in Italy, all over the world. There is hardly a week that goes by that I don't have a request from somebody to reprint one of her poems Mm -hmm. or, you know, interest in, and she has, she has a wonderful agent who has really, done a great job of keeping her work alive but the point is that the momentary things by definition don't last yeah yeah and the things that are timeless do yeah the end (laughs) so that's a long drawn out answer no no uh, that helps and that also helps kind of get us started with the conversation about the world that we are living in right now and though this is this is perhaps this is perhaps a momentary thing um it's going to leave a lasting impression yes as far as covid um yep and you had oh go ahead well i was gonna say Um, And again, you know, probably most of the people who hear this, clearly they're connected with with the writer's colony. But, um, you know, I was madly in love with my husband. And one day he went out to take the same bicycle ride he had taken three times a week for his entire life. Absolute not entire life, but his life in Eureka. Yeah, Yeah. And, you know, it was ordinary, normal. And on his way back from Beaver Lake, he got hit by a vehicle. And as I have often put it, he bicycled into eternity. Mm -hmm. And his life ended and the life that I had ended. And there was Mm -hmm. no preparation. And thus, I was inducted into the club that no one wants to join, which is not only widowhood, but the, the the stark realization that anything can happen to anyone at any time. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And um, no one would like to go through life believing or accepting this because it's such an uneasy truth. Right. And, and um, <clears throat> you know, when about a year after he died, Hurricane Katrina came along, and Mm. I remember looking at the newspaper headlines, because there were still paper newspapers then, that said, New Orleans descends into chaos, was one. And I Mm. thought, well, now other people know that anything can happen to anyone at any time. And then uh, then after that was 9-11. And I thought, now, now more people are going to get inducted into this reality. Yeah. And so suddenly, suddenly, everyone is forced, you know, none of us thought that what we were doing was extraordinary. 
you know, we were just living our ordinary lives. We think this is extraordinary, but actually, you know, only somebody that is white and was born healthy and was born into reasonably secure economic circumstances and not born to crazy people could ever think that, you know, that they were immune from sudden things happening that knock you off your pins. Yeah. So... Yeah, you you wrote on a, a quote that's on your website is we all, we are all part of the narrative life tells itself, and I'm wondering what you think life is telling right now. What what is human life telling us right now? Well, I think for one thing, it's saying you know, you know I I I am remarrying to somebody that this is this is a long long way around because i don't know any way to tell a story except by digressing but um (laughs) but but you know i might have to come back later and edit it to make it a little less digressive but you know (laughs) usually i just i just follow the digressions yeah so so in this house that mark and i bought in fayetteville the first thing we bought together was a very beautiful rug, and we bought it from KJ and Sarah, who many Eurekans mm-hmm. will know. Yeah. And it's it's quite beautiful. It has sort of a coral background, and it has little animals on it. It's a silk Persian carpet, and I took the colors from it for the whole colors of our living room. And And sometimes I walk around on it and feel it under my toes, and I look down at it, and I say, okay, when are you going to be pulled out from under my feet? <laughs> yeah, because, because that's my life experience. Yeah, that's my yeah. life experience. But so one of the narratives that one comes to when one has realized that anything can happen to anyone at any time mm-hmm. is that you grab hold of the moment and you just love the hell out of it. You find mm-hmm. something that you can love. Like right. you said, well, I'm in my house, but the windows are open, and it's a sunny day, and the breeze is blowing in. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, there's, it's not very, our house has a lot of old trees, so there's not much space for a garden. But there's a little tiny, not too much bigger than a postage stamp-sized piece that gets enough sunlight to grow some things it's maybe like two two feet by five feet and i i got some plants for it and stuff and i got i knew it was going to be hot today i got up at six this morning and i jammed those plants in that little flower bed yeah yeah. formerly flower bed now quote victory garden (laughs) and as i as as i was doing it you know i was thinking you know you had so much more land in Vermont, and the soil was so much better there. Have you even seen one earthworm in your in this little bed here? No, I haven't. And there's deer here. There's such an overpopulation of deer. You know, you're yeah. really, you know, it's an act of faith to plant this garden because <laughs> there's, you know, right. there are so many things working against it. Right. And then right. I thought, well, every garden is an act of faith. Right. As I'm, That's you know, having this conversation with myself. You know, every time we go to the grocery store and we fill our refrigerators and cupboards, we 
we are saying, I will be here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Somehow, I will be here. Um, and something like COVID-19 or Katrina or 9-11 or, uh, you know, the individual experiences that wallop us so hard that we don't think we can get up. Mm-hmm. All of those things... They say, so, if anything can happen to anyone at any time, and at the moment you're still standing and you feel pretty good and you know how you're going to be able to pay the bills and there's a roof over your head and you have food to eat and perhaps you love people and are loved by them, whether they are friends or a spouse, whether it's a cat, you know, maybe it's not a person. Um, You know, even if you cannot see them, and you have to just, you know, FaceTime or something. Yeah. Um, you know, every um, I'm, I've been doing these um, uh, readings of my books or my mother's books one a night during this this time. I said I would try it for a week and see how it goes. And I think I'll just keep saying yes a week at a time until it seems like it's not needed anymore. Yeah, but That's six um, o'clock Central Time on Facebook, right? Um, yeah, Facebook Live, and it's my professional page, which is Facebook slash Sea Dragon Wagon. And you can also, even if you're not present at six, they're saved. So you can watch them oh, anytime right. yeah. or okay. send them to your kids, or yeah. um, I'll send you some links. And if you want to post them on the Dairy Hollow website, you can. But anyway, um, the second, second or third title I read was one called Home Place, and it begins uh, every year. Let me grab it here. It begins every year these daffodils come up. There's no house near them. There's nobody to water them unless someone happens to come this way like us this Sunday afternoon, Mm. just walking. There is not even anyone to see them, but still they come up, these daffodils in a row, a yellow splash brighter than sunlight or lamplight or butter in the green and shadow of the woods. Still they come up, these daffodils, cups lifted to trumpet the good news of spring. Wow. And... I mean, what happens in the book is the girl who sees them and sort of notices that there's a a half stone chimney there, digs around in the earth, and there's a rusty nail, a china doll's arm, and she imagines the family that lived there once. Right. And then she's not sure if she's making it up or if they really did live there. Um, And... You know, but then then at the end, she says, you know, almost almost as gone as if they had never been there. Almost, but not quite, not quite. Mm. They were here. Mm. This was mm-hmm. their home for each year in a quiet green place where there's only a honeysuckle vine chimney to tell you there was ever a house. Only a marble, a nail, a horseshoe, a piece of plate, a piece of doll to tell you there was ever a family here. Only deer, raccoons, squirrels instead of people to tell you there were living creatures still each year, whether anyone sees or not. 
whether anyone mm-hmm. listens or not. The daffodils come up to trumpet their good news forever and forever. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thanks. Written, by the way, after a walk around this time of year along Pivot Rock Road and seeing some mm-hmm. daffodils where there was no other sign that there'd ever been a house there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those but, lives so, are meaningful, you know? I mean, those they lives, are. you know, may not have been written about and they may not have made history books or anything else, but those lives, whoever planted those daffodils, those lives were meaningful. And to take notice of the now, I yes. think, is yes. what you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, one of the things when you realize that anything can happen to anyone at any time, um, uh, uh, you also have to give up the very comforting, but unfortunately, in my view, I'm sorry, I know this offends some people who interpret it religiously, but the idea that everything happens for a reason, mm-hmm. that I don't, I don't believe that, you know, mm-hmm. not, not a reason that is like, you know, there was a design that said that this was supposed to happen to you so that this could happen to you so that you, mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. I don't believe that. I really don't believe it, and I actually think it's sort of a pernicious belief system. But what I do believe is that things happen, whether they are caused by a little virus or a terrorist group or an accident. Whatever reason they were caused by is not really the human question. The human question is, this happened, so what will I do with it? Right. You know, what... What will Chad do with it? Chad is starting this every day. His response to this is to open the window, let the air in, and hold a podcast that right. can help people. <laughs> you know, the right. people at Echo Echo Village are giving out seedlings. Right. You know, and making right. masks at home. Right. So, you know, what would you recommend I mean, for writers during this time? Because there must be so much going on just emotionally and intellectually, I I would think, um, as writers are just kind of trying to get their own heads around what they are experiencing during this time? Well, I hear a couple of, you know, more than a couple, there's some things on that. My late father used to say, no matter what was going on for me, he would say, Cress, write your way through it. Mm -hmm. write your way through it Mm -hmm. and I do think that it is very likely that an awful lot of us are going to die and be forever cut asunder by this abrupt ending you know those of us that live you're never the same after someone you love is vanished Mm -hmm. and the human race will get through this, but right. not every human that we love. Right. We lost Terence McNally, the the uh, dramatist, the playwright, just I think day before yesterday. Oh, we will that. not. Yeah, we will not all get through it. Right. But you know, when we look back at the Spanish flu in 1718, which killed more people than the war did. And how it changed society, you know, it's easy to think of it in the big terms, but is the small records that matter. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's a culinary writer I know 
who lives in Lucca, Italy, which is right at the epicenter. And they are under such extreme lockdown there that you have to fill out a form if you want to go to the grocery store. And you can be stopped by very carefully caped, you know, in in personal protective gear. Um, Police, if, if you don't have your form filled out and it's not legit or if you've been coming too much or if you are with one other person other than your spouse. Right. Um, wow. You know, and her and her reporting, she just writes a little Facebook diary every day about what it is like to live in this once bustling city, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. vacant, you know. Yeah. And so to, you know, one of the things is that any sort of action empowers a person much more than hand wringing and writing is an action. Yeah, that's and, so yeah. And it changes you too. You know, as you write it you discover things that you knew that you didn't know you knew. Yeah. yeah. You know, as you observe more so so it is one of the ways that we have is to give records of of this time and you know, when when one feels fear or horror or uplifted or clever because one figured out something yeah. to do, um, you know, or what led a person to that or even taking note of of your thoughts. I mean, on on uh, March the 13th, which was a, a Friday. Yeah. And that was that those several days where the shift suddenly happened about this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, they say you're supposed to have your prescriptions for three months. And I, I don't take the medicine every day, but, you know, probably good to have it on hand. And I called them and they wouldn't they wouldn't renew it over the phone. So I had to go into the clinic and I was very resentful of that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I did not want to go into the clinic. I thought, really? You know, those always seem like petri dishes for infection. Well, really? right. That's come, so true. You know, and, you know, but so, so very irritatedly, I go off to the clinic and it was a chilly day, but it was not freezing. And I noticed that I was wearing my little wool gloves. I mean, I was wearing them, but I noticed that I wore them. Right, right. And I noticed that when I went to the clinic to open the door, I kept my gloves on. Yeah. And then I noticed, and of course, writing begins with noticing. Not not exactly thinking, noticing. And I noticed that I thought, so this is how it begins. Mm. And as I reached with my gloved hand towards the door, of course, there was the first of the many signs we have come to see essentially about the plague. Please, if you show this symptom, do that. You know, don't right, do this. Right. You know, and, and so I'm actually working on a blog post about it, and that is the first little piece of it is that moment when you say to yourself, so it begins. Yeah. And those observers will will be of use both 
it will be of use to them as they record it because you can process what you're feeling and what you're thinking. You still are going to feel it, but the act of empowerment that is putting it down on paper, it it disempowers the feelings themselves because you've taken a yeah. step back from them in order to write about them. That's so interesting. I hearing you talk about the gloves just made me think about how you use gloves to keep your hands warm in the winter and to keep them um, safe. And then yet now you were using gloves in the same way, but also in a different way, if that makes sense. Um, and see, see, that's the lovely thing that one has with readers, because I didn't think about that. I mean, when you write, you're in a way a conduit for everything that you're observing and how it comes together. But the reader fills in the missing piece yeah, with what is true for him or her. Yeah. And that makes conversation and between us. Yeah. And that's powerful because we all really, I feel this sense of really needing people needing to connect with one another right now. And that's why, you know, I yeah. wanted to start this podcast, especially for writers to be able to speak to other writers. Um, about what, you know, what this time in human existence kind of, maybe not even what it means. I guess I guess I almost, I always try to search for meaning in something and maybe mm -hmm, that's, mm -hmm. um, and that's one way of looking at life and there's different ways of looking at it, but. Um, I think meaning is, I think meaning is legit and powerful because that's within the human locus of control and decision. Where I think it's creepy is, you know, when people say, it just wasn't meant to be, or, well, uh, there's yeah. a reason for that. You know, yeah. like after Ned died and people said crap to me, like, well, I guess God must have needed him worse than you. It's uh, like, oh, gosh, really? Those things just really? Did, crazy. You get, did you get an email from God? <laughs> did you get a text message? Right. Really? How do you know? <sighs> Are you saying that if I was more whiny and needy, he would still be here? Right. Or, you know, and, you know, now Mark and I are together and we are. You know, we both are filled with wonder at that. And, um, you know, people say to us very cheerfully things like, you know, well, it was meant to be or um, uh, you you both deserve it because he also had, you know, an experience of much deep and tragic loss in his life. Yeah. But between the two of us, we have to say, if you go to deserving, then did Ned deserve what happened to him? And did Paula, his right, his wife, did right. she deserve the tumors? That, right. You know, did she deserve it? And so I stay away from things that put me in the position that I'm I, I'm not competent to answer like a, a God point of view. <laughs> you know, I can answer. I can say, what meaning am I going to give this to me. Exactly, exactly. And meaning is created in your life because of yes. your experience of life and your experience of others pe other people. And they experience exactly meaning so. in a similar way, but yet in a very unique way. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and so, so I'm down with, with looking for meaning. I'm just not down with lip syncing for whether you say God, the universe, the divine spirit, and you know, and thinking that we we would have the capacity to well, do that because yeah. we do not. 
<laughs> let's keep it let's keep it keep it human that's what we are keep it human <laughs> <laughs> keep it human man <laughs> and exactly. isn't that freaking hard enough really to do that well, exactly exactly with, you know with exactly. some integrity and some kindness and yeah although doing it without integrity and kindness to my view would be harder but yeah are you um are you cook go ahead well no you go ahead i was i was i was jumping to if you happen <laughs> to be cooking anything um is there any kind of comfort food that you're kind of especially gravitating towards like i'm gravitating towards macaroni and cheese of course because, macaroni you know. and cheese, universal <laughs> comfort food sure right. sure enough um, you, well I mean, i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna di divert for a minute to tell you again digression to tell you a, a very to me hilarious story so two years ago i get a fan letter from our fan email from a guy named Reed. And um, Reed says, I was just telling a friend of mine this story and he was so bemused by it. And he said, you know, you really ought to write the, the author and tell her this. So, so I am, and maybe you'll find it amusing. And this guy had taken a new job um, 15 years earlier and he knew he'd been working, he'd be working very hard and he said when he was hunting around for something that would be nourishing and delicious and that he could really enjoy day in, day out, he happened on my uh, Greek-style lentil soup with lemon and spinach hmm. in Dairy Hollow House Soup and Bread, which was a book that was published in 1992 and is long out of print, though I'm trying to get it reprinted. and in the worst way, <laughs> the yeah. best way, I hope. Yeah. Anyway, um, so while, uh, so he liked the soup and he has made it once every two weeks. He makes a big batch and he takes it to work every single day for wow. 15 years. He has wow. had the same thing for lunch. And he said he still loves it and, you know, it's yeah. nourishing. It tastes good to him every time. And then most of his friends think he's insane, but he <laughs> loves having a thing that he doesn't have to make a decision about. And yeah, right. um, he said, you know, I'm now about two years away from retirement. And I suppose the soup, like my job and like all good things, will come to an end. But I thought you would... So I was just enchanted by this oh, story. Yeah. And I asked him, will you... Will you Tell me, what is your job? Where are you? And he lived in Seattle, and he was a uh, nurse PA that was in charge of, I think, a staff of 14 in an HIV clinic oh, in wow. a public hospital there. And I just thought this was such a delightful story, you know, yeah. even though, even though, I mean, almost it being my soup, if it, if I had heard about it, happening to another cookbook author, I still would have written about it because I just thought it was so charming. Yeah. You know, I went back and made the soup and I thought, oh, it's really good. You know, <laughs> would I make it every day? No, I'm too much of an entertainment eater, but it's really a good lentil soup. So, yeah. so whenever I saw a colleague or talked to a colleague who was in a larger span of media, you know, I mean, not that many people read my blogs and posts, you know, it's, it's respectable, but it's not a huge thing. But I really thought, 
that this story is going to make people happy. So I talked to different people about it. And, you know, I never did land somebody doing the story. But finally, um, Joe Yonan, who's the food editor of the New York, of um, the Washington Post, he got intrigued by it because he, like me, happens to be a great bean lover. And he, like me, has written a cookbook about beans, okay, um, yeah, yeah. a brand, brand new one, lovely one called Cool Beans. Anyway, I said, Joe, you know, this is just this great story. And so Joe actually took me up on it. And I dropped out of the conversation, and he talked to Reed, the guy in Seattle. And, of course, Seattle is now the epicenter of coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. And all of all of um, Reed's patients are high risk because they're compromised yeah, immune yeah. systems. And so Joe wrote this charming article about this really sweet guy, and it was on the uh, March 8th. Washington Post um, food section, which was, Uh, again, just around the time stuff was kicking up. Right. And pretty soon he called me and he said, you know, the article is getting reposted a lot. Do you want to be on part of our Wednesday food chat? And I said, sure. So I jumped in and I was part of that. And in the course of being part of that, their tech person said to me, you know, Joe had said this, this article has been reposted more than any one that we've done in 2020 and but then on by Wednesday the uh tech person said to me this is our most reposted food article ever wow and I said you're kidding and she said no no it has gone viral an unfortunate word at this point um yeah, and I, I said and I said what exactly does that mean? Because, you know, you hear that, but what does it mean in the numbers? And she said, well, I don't think I can give you the exact number, but let's just say hundreds of thousands of times. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And my jaw just dropped. Now, understand that, first of all, the article is only very peripherally about me and the soup. It's basically about Reed. And understand that book is out of print, so I'm not making a penny off of. There's no way I could make right, right. But it's just there is the power of story right Right. there, as well as the power of food. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. People were the 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 uh, tech lady said to me also. People aren't just reading it; they're making it. We've had however many hundred comments from people that have made it. They went right out and made it. Nobody gets that many comments that fast because people will wait a couple of weeks for it. But this is this, you know, somehow yeah, it landed yeah. at a time when yeah. people were in need of comfort, and of course, beans are certainly having a moment because yeah, they're right. not perishable and they're. Yeah carbohydrate and protein and they're delicious if you cook them right and 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 so um you know but and that also goes with the flukiness of of success perceived success in any kind of artistic endeavor there's just you you try to do good work you try to show up and do good work from the best part of yourself and maybe there you, you can't really strategically ensure anything 
but somehow things happen sometimes, not yeah. ever in a way you would have. I mean, when when I wrote the post on my blog, there was no COVID-19. Right. Um, it was just such a sweet story. And the reason I kept pushing it wasn't because I had anything to gain from it, it other than I just thought people should know this. This is such <laughs> a, yeah, it's a, con- it's a story that connects us. And and yeah. um, and connects us through those those things that are you know most primal and as yes. a part of being human. Um, yeah, beautiful. and then and yet and yet here it was these years later. And you know, in these two years, you know, I would say to this person, they'd say, "Oh yeah, great story. I'll get back to you." And then they wouldn't. And but I will say, I didn't give up. I kept, whenever I would see someone that was in one of those positions or talk to them online or something, oh, by the way, I have the, would you be interested? I didn't give up. I mean, right, I was persistent. Right. <laughs> and Well, you know, one believed person, in the power of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you know, it was delayed and, del- you know, nothing happened, nothing happened, lots of yeses. And at a certain point, you know, you don't want to be bugging people. Obviously, if they wanted to do it, they would do it. So I'll ask somebody else. Okay, but here it is. I mean, when Joe did it, he did not even fully get that here's this guy in the epicenter. Yeah, yeah. And probably and so making that soup. Probably making, making that, that soup. soup. Yeah. Calmly making that soup and then going off to deal with people who are dying or are going to die and risking his life because nobody has enough personal right. Protective gear. Right. <sighs> Kristen, so, we are running out of time, unfortunately. Okay. Right. But I, you know, I want, <laughs> can we do this again? Would you um, be willing to to have another conversation? Because I feel like we've only sure. just touched the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> so I would love to talk and to I you don't let I don't let everyone touch the tip of my iceberg. Let me tell you that. <laughs> Well, I am honored and feel fortunate and also a little bit unnerved by that. So <laughs> don't worry, it's it's melting like all the icebergs. <laughs> oh, and that's scary enough as it is. Um anyway, I I well, I wish everyone courage and fortitude and the ability to think about what little action they can take. I mean, we only have three things in this life. We have thoughts, feelings, and actions. And yeah. if you can't change one, you can change one of the other two. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for doing this. And yeah. I'm for- so glad to do it. I feel, I feel really fortunate to be at the Writer's Colony and fortunate to be in Eureka Springs. It's a magical place. And for you to be... Um, a part of its history. I'm, I really am honored to be able to, to have conversation with you and I hope we can do it again very soon. I would love to and I'm so happy that you and the present group at the Writers Colony, it really has given me great joy and great hope and to see it turning into something to its own thing. But part of our vision for it was that it would become its own thing and it would do kind of what you all are doing now. So I am glad you're there. Good. <laughs> well, I will Until talk to you next soon. Time. Thank you, Kristen. Definitely. <laughs> Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today for Right Now at the Writer's Colony. I'm Chad Gurley, your host and colony coordinator at the Writer's Colony at Derry Hollow. To find out more about the Writer's Colony, visit writerscolony.org. 
That's writerscolony.org. Until tomorrow, stay safe, be well, and write on.